This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's the worst up the right sideline. Yeah, he's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football show that would not try and shoulder check Jonathan Smith on the sideline because you're upset that he's driving down the field to tie the game. Shout out the Houston sideline. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. In on the other line, Mike Craven. Where are you at? You in Austin right now? Are you still in Austin? I'm still in Austin. I will be driving up to DFW shortly after we record this podcast. Yeah. So you were at the Texas Alabama game. We will, I mean, I'll spoil it. We'll talk about that right off the top. We had a lot happening in a week that we did not expect a lot to happen. Um, also on the line with us is, of course, everyone's favorite Mal pal, Mallory Hartley. Mallory, what's up? Good. Good to be here. Got to yeah. see the green win yesterday in person. So Yeah, there you go. We'll get to that game, of course. Your first game as a fan, uh, somebody who wasn't working the game. So that was, uh, yeah, was, that was pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So I mentioned it. We're going to talk about these couple, these games off the top. We're going to talk about ba- uh, Texas, Bama, AM App State, Baylor, BYU, Houston Tech, and UTSA Army off the top. Then we'll get into kind of a hurry up lightning around with the rest of the results. But I mentioned it, Craven, you were there, DKR, Alabama 20, Texas 19. Everybody's going to be talking about this results, I feel like, for a long time, or at least maybe until next year until they go back to Tuscaloosa. Um because they do have a, they do, it is a home and home, right? Yes. Yeah. So they'll, you know, they'll get the return leg next year in Tuscaloosa. Um, but listen, a lot of storylines in this game, right? Quinn Ewers goes out. Um, Hudson Card comes in. Hudson Card almost goes out, it seems like, finishes the game hobbled. The Texas defense comes and plays lights out. DKR has probably its best environment I think we've ever seen. Alabama looks rattled, which is something you don't see. Will Anderson, probably the best player in the country, just completely off his game. And Texas is right there, and they have a chance to win. And Mike Craven, you were there. What did you see in all of that madness with Texas more or less having a legitimate shot to knock off Alabama? Yeah, I mean, I I think it was one of those deals that in the press box, it just kind of kept building and building and building. You know, it was like, oh, Texas is staying around. This is a good game. Look at the crowd. This is, you know, 105,000 people here. They're playing well in the first half. And then as the third quarter went on and and Hudson kept them in the game, that defense kept playing really well. It was like, oh, okay, they can win this game, you know? And so uh, it was an impressive performance, an impressive environment. And I think one that was needed for this Longhorns program um, they really needed a, a performance that kind of showed them that they were capable of keeping up in the SEC, that this wouldn't just be, a, you know, just like, oh, man, we're on our way to just get murdered over here. If, if Alabama had won that thing at like 42 to seven, I, I think a lot of hope uh, for the Longhorn program diminishes. Uh, but you leave that game yesterday and you think, OK, Texas has a shot here. Give mm-hmm. them another recruiting class or two. That offensive line grows up. That defensive line grows up. What we saw from Quinn Ewers was excellent. It'll be interesting to see how long he's out with the shoulder, AC joint, collarbone, whatever that ends up being. Uh, but a lot of really good signs. We knew Texas's offense was going to be pretty good. I think mm-hmm. we all knew uh, Quinn Ewers would be you know, a good quarterback once he settled in. Xavier Worthy's excellent. Bajon Robinson's all-world. The offensive line's super talented. But what would that defense look like? Yesterday, we saw an improved defense. I think we saw the Gary Patterson influence with just his ability to scheme and understand what offenses are trying to do. We saw Texas run around to the football in a way that we're not used to. That defensive line, for the most part, held its own. There was one 81-yard touchdown run that was a busted defensive line, linebacker situation. But other than that, they played really, really well. Uh, Bryce, Bryce Young's the defending Heisman Trophy winner, and he's Houdini. You know, He just made a couple plays. He was the best player on the field, and sometimes you lose to those guys. Uh, but if you're Texas, I, I think, and Sark even said it after the game, he goes, we didn't lose this game. We just ran out of time, right? And I know at Texas, moral victories can't be the standard. It's the University of Texas is the richest program in the nation. Moral, moral victories don't work. But in this case, I think they do. I, I think 
if the rest of the season looks like this and Texas goes 10 and two, you look back at this game and you go, that's the game that this Texas locker room realized it was, it belonged, that it could play a four quarter football game with a really good football team, something that they did not do in Sarkeesian's first year. I thought overall it was a really impressive performance and one, if you're Texas, you build off of on both sides of the football and in special teams, the field goal kicker, you know, made a really long kick in pressure situation in the fourth quarter. Uh, the punt game was really good. You know, there wasn't any big returns for Alabama. So uh, a, a three-phase football game for Texas and one where, yeah, you lost, but you did a lot well and it's something that repel you for the rest of the year. Yeah. I think one of the things that if you are Texas and I wonder about, because it, it kind of does depend on, you know, obviously Quinn Ewer's status going forward. Um, obviously unfortunate that he had to miss this game. I joked on Twitter that Texas fans now have another excuse for the next 10 years about why they didn't beat Bama. Um, <laughs> despite the fact that both games that they lost their quarterback, the game was tied, but you know, whatever. Um, but with that being said, I think the thing that concerned me a little bit more, if this is a longer term injury than maybe a couple weeks for Quinn Ewers is I think the play calling got a little in the, let's put it this way. They lied about that quarterback battle. That was not a battle like that. That would Quinn Ewers was the guy since probably spring <laughs> and they just kind of messed around probably throughout some, you know, probably gave Hudson card a couple reps with the ones to make it seem like whatever. It was not a battle because the play calling in that game was starkly different. Right. Like, and I get that Hudson card, you know, uh, I think the third quarter, I think when he got his like knee injury where he was clearly limping and there was that one first down run where he needed like, 20 yards of space to gain like eight to, to be able to feel confident to run. And so I get that he was hurt, but even when he wasn't injured, it's the play calling was just night and day with Quinn Ewers versus him. So that's the only thing that concerns me because it showed in the red zone in particular, they set up, they basically boarded up the windows when they got in the red zone they didn't take any risks they didn't really run the ball that effectively if i was them if they got in the red zone i would have done more wildcat with rashawn johnson i would have done a little bit more had some more creativity in that respect but and me and you know me and you talked about it on twitter it was like i thought that they settled a lot and i thought because of that conservative play calling in the red zone that set themselves up to be like well we can't we can't try this on fourth down and i thought that they were in position to really put this game away and you, like you mentioned it, Bryce Young is a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Sure, the receivers at this year's Bama team don't seem to be that lights out as they've been in the past, right? It's hard to hit every single year with those with, with that type of talent. But you kept giving them a chance to, to, to still make a run, to still make a drive. And then when the opportunity came, when they absolutely needed it, it happened. And so I think that you your point was that they hadn't – well, you explain your point because we got, you know, I mentioned how they settled for field goals and I didn't like that. And uh, you, you had a good point that I do want to bring up too. Yeah. I mean, I do think they settled for field goals and that's the reason they lost this game was their lack of ability to score in the red zone touchdowns. But I, I think yeah. two things can be true. I think that, yes, that is true that they, they squandered those opportunities and had they scored a touchdown or two in those five red zone possessions more than, you know, I think it was three field goals, one touchdown and a missed field goal and, and five possessions in the red zone. My problem's more with the play calling first through third down. And if yeah. you don't move the ball at all first through third down, what makes you think you're going to move it on fourth down? And for Texas, you know, they averaged 2.4 yards a carry. If you take away first down, it was closer to like one, you know, sure. so they couldn't run the football. Hudson Card's best at throwing when he's on the move, you know, doing mm -hmm. a little waggle or giving them a two-way option where you can get outside and either run or throw it on the edge. And he was immobile. He just could not move that way. So if it's fourth and goal at the two-yard line and you can't run the ball and you can't roll Hudson Card out, I don't know what you do on fourth mm -hmm. down. I think Sarkeesian was in a position where it was like, of course, he wants those seven points, but the three points kept him in the game. And I think for Sark, he was just trying to keep his guys in the game. If you go down and you don't get any points and you just get stuffed at the two-yard line, Bajon Robinson just gets stuffed three carries in a row, right? that deflates that team because that's what you're good at. And now all of a yeah. sudden you can't do it. I think the field goals kept them in it. And yesterday, that's all that they could do. If they were running the ball a little bit better, if Quinn Ewers was still out there, heck, if Hudson Card had two good feet, I think they mm -hmm. go for it a couple times on fourth down. I think Sark was just trying to put duct tape on the ship, right? Just like, 
let's try to keep this within a field goal. Maybe we have the ball last on the 35 and we kick a 50 yarder to try to win this thing. Just unfortunately for Texas, Alabama had the ball last and they have a Heisman trophy quarterback with two good legs and an offensive line. That's really good. But you know, I, I think for Texas, it's still about the offensive line and the defensive line. Alabama averaged, you know, over six yards a carry Texas averaged under three, you know, that's the difference in the ball game with a good running game with John Robinson being able to go off. Texas wins this game by 14, 17 points. So the quarterback injury was important, but I think the lack of being able to run the ball with an All-American running back still kind of shows where Texas needs to get on Alabama's level. We talked about Alabama's offense not being as good as we thought they were going to be, and that's probably true. But that defense is really good. And, yes. and they, they were yes. able to stop Texas a lot in the red zone and kind of it gets harder to move the ball down there. Right. Mm -hmm. Like on third and two on third and goal, like those are the hardest times to move the football and Texas just didn't have either the personnel, the health or the ability uh, to make those plays. So I understood why he kicked the field goals, even though I do know that that is also why they ended up losing the game. Sure. And I do want to, one more hint on Texas defense. You mentioned it. I mean, they played lights out, right? As again, I talked about Alabama's receivers probably not being as explosive as they have in the past. Cause again, they were putting first rounders in every single year it doesn't look like that type of unit but regardless and I know they uh they also had some help Jason McClellan went out with an injury so like he gashed them early and then obviously they had no explosive plays really after that but still overall I mean Jameer Gibb uh was only two nine carries 22 yards and they had to get him involved in the passing game to get him going and when he did that he looked good but they kind of shut the run down and they made Bryce Young's they made him they made him have to make plays let's put it that way right they made him have to scramble out and avoid the pass rush and things like that and that you mentioned is that Gary Patterson influence and also I think I mean Pete Kwiatkowski we talked about it last year he is one of the best defensive play callers in modern football as well so um yeah if they get that for the rest of the year it might not they might not need Quinn Ewers to get to that 10 9 10 win mark so moving on to our second game and Jesus app state 17, Texas A&M 14 in Kyle field app state pulls the upset. Oh man. Um, Jimbo hot water, anyone? Um, so let's put it this way. Some people are going to bring up that buyout and say, well, they're not going to fire Jimbo Fisher. They look at his buyout. I don't know. They just paid App State $1.5 million to come beat them. So they, clearly money's not an issue for AM. If they want to get rid of the guy, they can absolutely jump up the money too. Um, look, this game was kind of a, a giant red flag if you're AM, right? Because it seemed like all the issues from honestly the past two years, as well as the issues we thought we had last week with them, bad offensive line play an offense that just does not have outside of Devonta chain does not have a playmaker, a quarterback situation that just does not seem to be fixed. And a defense that's really just trying to stop everything and they can't stop everything. There was one play in the first quarter where app state rushed three and Ruben fathery got destroyed on the right. Haynes King steps up, loses the ball. App State recovers. They end up scoring, going up one in this, I think, in the late early second quarter. That doesn't happen last year, right? This offensive line, the year before, definitely. Like, this offensive line is not good. And I thought that Haynes King has not been great, but I also don't think they can put anybody else in because he's the only one that can run. Like, Wigman and Max Johnson, they can't run. And so they were having to run. They were having to move the pocket some. They are having to do a lot of creative things to get Haynes King out. And trust me, I don't think he's probably the guy long-term. I really don't. But I don't know if you put Wigman back there because you don't want to ruin him. And Max Johnson's definitely not as mobile as Haynes King. So I don't know. I'm very worried about uh, Texas A&M now because this is a game that well, should have been a good test, but – if you were going to lose, it had to be a crazy things go crazy for App State, whatever. App State just beat you, man. They just lined up on defense and just ran over your offense. I think the concerning thing for Texas A&M is all last year we heard, we'll wait till we get our quarterback back. Yes. You know, like once we get either a transfer quarterback in or we get Haynes King in, look at our defense, look at our offensive line, look at our running backs, our receivers, we're going to be, you know, competing for SEC championships. Nope. You know, like this, that's just not what this offense is, you know, like, even with Kellen Mond, even last year with Zach Calzada when Haynes King was healthy, it's just not an explosive offense. Like, and I don't know if Texas A&M lacks 
weapons on the outside or if we just haven't seen them deployed in a way that allows them to be weapons you know if they played in a sure. steve sarkeesian offense and a rhett lashley offense and a sunny dykes dana holgerson zach kitley offense right mm -hmm. how many catches would anaya smith have how many sure. catches would evan stewart have like those guys are dudes they didn't forget how to play football they just can't get the football right mm -hmm. like yesterday haynes king went 13 of 20 for 97 yards the long of 19 you know, like that, that's just not an explosive offense. Like you can't, we'll talk about Baylor uh, later and it's the same thing, right? You don't have a completion mm -hmm. over 20 yards. What are you supposed to do on offense? How do you get safeties right. out of the box? How do you make a defense, you know, play you fair, take away a kickoff return for a touchdown and A&M gets boat raced in this game. I mean, it's not even really close, you know, on an offensive standpoint. So I'm with you. I don't, I don't think Max Johnson comes in and all of a sudden this thing gets fixed because it's bigger than just the quarterback play. Some of it's play calling, some of it's scheme, some of it's offensive line, but I would be shocked if Max Johnson doesn't take the first snap against Miami just because you have to change something and Jimbo's sure. not firing himself. You know, he's not going to take himself off a of play calling duty. He's not going to change his scheme. The only thing he can really do is change the quarterback and see if that gives them kind of a jump start. you know, just kind of gives them a little bit of a smart a spark uh, we've seen what Max Johnson is. He's not going to come in there and tear up the world, right? But he's not going to make a lot of mistakes. He's going to do what he's supposed to do. I always thought Jimbo kind of leaned towards that anyway. I think he went with Haynes King because it offers him a little bit of more of explosiveness. And maybe he <laughs> saw the offensive line issues coming and was like, we need a, a quarterback with a little bit of mobility. But when you lose at home to App State and you don't throw for 100 yards on 20 attempts, something has to change. And yeah. the easiest change is to switch quarterbacks. So if you're AM, I, I think we see Max Johnson next week. And, you know, my question for Aggies fans is, you know, if they go out and beat Miami, how big of a deal is this? You know, did anybody really think AM was competing for national championships this year? Or is this a True. gear up year for next year? And what I do think we figured out is Haynes King's not the guy, right? Like he's not, he's not the dude that's going to lead AM to a national championship. That's one question answered. Now, the rest of the years to figure out if you got the right pieces everywhere else and then maybe see later on the year if Connor Wigman's the guy, if you're going to have to go to the transfer portal, you know, what the answer is at quarterback, uh, because until they figure that out, they just can't compete in the SEC when you got guys like Bryce Young running around. You just see the difference, right? It's just night and day. Yeah. Also, yeah. to make AM fans feel better, I think App State is just really good. I just think they're a good football team, too. They competed really well against North Carolina last week. So, I mean, it's not all terrible. I think App State is a really good team. I think so too. And I think I think the frustration for AM fans comes with the fact that whether or not this should have been the national title team, right? I don't think I think that was very much, if anything, 2023 should have been that expectation. I still think this should have been the makings of that, right? You should have started to see we should you mentioned it, the quarterback, right? It should it sh you should have started to see the offense come to fruition under Jimbo Fisher, fully his program now, fully his recruits. Now, okay, here's the last piece, the quarterback, the Jimbo Fisher position that he's supposed to be great at. And like you, we talked about in, this, in our work slack, right? Like if Jameis Winston isn't at Florida State, like Craven, I'll give this point to you. You know, if Jameis Winston isn't at Florida State, do we consider him a quarterback guru? I said, okay, I'll throw EJ Manuel his way too. But also that's like, okay, he was a good college quarterback. He wasn't great. But like that's Jameis Winston, EJ Manuel, and then what, Kellen Mond next? Like immediately, I like, I like Kellen Mond, don't get me wrong. I think the offense being as bad as it is since he's, since he's left has been a big indication of how good he was for them. But still, that's like, is that a quarterback guru, right? Is that like, is that a, a Cliff Kingsbury or a Lincoln Riley type guy? It's like, not really, in my opinion. I mean, A&M pays Jimbo and has the expectations of Jimbo, like he's Dabo, like he's Nick Saban, like he's Lincoln Riley, like he's Kirby Smart, and he's yes. not. Right. History yeah. suggests that he's not. Yeah. Um, every the stats going around on Twitter right now, he's basically has the same record as Kevin Sumlin through the I was same about to say through, through 50 games, him I think Kevin Sumlin might have one win better or something. It was like they're one game off basically from their from literally being the exam the exact same through 50 games. And you know, at least Kevin Sumlin gave them a Heisman Trophy winner, you know, like that that that's kind of a thing. So uh this is something to keep an eye on. I wonder. I think this will be the year if AM is going to pull the ripcord, this will we'll know into the year, right? We'll know this because last year is like, oh, you know, injury things. Here's this. Now it's like, no, 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 there's no injuries. This is your recruits. These are the, you signed the best recruiting class, you know, rated recruiting class in history. If they'll do it, we'll know this year. 
And I think this will be the off season where that that'll be, you know, they're a very feisty fan base. So I think they'll very much uh, get that uh, going if this is uh, something they want to do. Moving on BYU 26 Baylor 20 in Provo late night college football. Oh man. Yeah. We mentioned it with the, with the line play with play calling things like that. Um, Craven is, is, is Blake Shapen regressing a little bit? This, this is my main question, right? Is this the Blake Shapen issue? Is this the wide receiver issue? You know, they yeah. lost a lot of their production or basically, basically most of their production from the wide receiver position. Um, they lost a lot from the running back position, but everybody came back on the offensive line and we thought Blake Shapen would give them a better passing game. Against BYU, that wasn't true. I mean, their leading receiver was Hal Presley for three catches, 31 yards. Uh, you know, Monterey Baldwin, who they considered to be their best wide receiver, didn't have a stat right? Didn't have a catch in the game. Uh, Armani Winfield, the same. Josh Cameron had one catch for one yard, like just not a lot of explosive plays. You look at their passing stats and tight ends and running backs kind of do most of the damage um, through their passing game. And so late on, you saw Jeff Grimes call plays that way. He looked like Mm -hmm. an offensive coordinator that did not trust this passing game. And and whether that's Blake Shapin or whether that's the ability of the wide receivers to get open, I'm, I'm sure only Grimes really knows. Um, but we saw Blake Shapin make a lot of throws last year in tight windows down the field vertically. So he's capable of making those throws. Are the skill position guys at Baylor this year capable of getting into those positions to get those throws, to get open? Like AM, they didn't have a single catch over 20 yards. And against a good BYU defense that is physical, mm-hmm. if you allow guys to play eight, nine men in the box, you're not going to be able to run the ball very well. Um, right. Blake Shapin got sacked. That offensive line wasn't as dominant as, you know, I, I think we all kind of assumed it would be BYU got, you know, they talked about it on the broadcast. BYU felt it got punked last year in Waco from a physicality standpoint. And you could tell the Cougars wanted to show that they're not going to be a pushover in the new big 12. They were going to play hard on the offensive line, defensive line. Baylor got punched in the mouth. I thought they handled the physicality well, but they just couldn't create any explosive plays. And if they're not able to do it in the running game and they can't do it in the passing game, it's going to be a lot of these close kind of fight out games in the Big 12, and you're going to lose some of them. You can't win all the coin flip games. Like, it's just not possible. Last year, this is a game that the Baylor team goes and finds a way to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this year, they did. Is that a sign for future? I don't know. Could they turn around and run the Big 12 table? Sure. Um, and so it, it's just one of those things where I don't know if we know a ton more about Baylor than we did going into the game. I, I, I think the only thing we do know is that passing offense has work to do. Yeah. I, th- I agree with that. I think there are a couple questions I have about Blake Shapen now um, because one of them is I think you saw the ability, whether it was it was him versus Jaron Hall kind of as the, you know, obviously the BYU's quarterback, Jaron Hall. And I don't think BYU's receivers did a great job of getting open either, but I thought he made certain throws that was like oh that was a tight window right like he fit that in there I'm thinking of there's a particular sideline pass I think in the third quarter that he just hit on the right sideline that kept the kept the drive going and then there was a couple in the, um one pass I think in early in the game to the left corner it was like it was a very tight window Baylor the Baylor defender was draped all over and he dropped it in the bread basket and like it was like a toe drag type thing and it's like Okay, that's that should to me it was like okay that's a little concerning if like they're not even if Blake Shapen's not even willing to give those type of throws right sometimes you just got to make things happen right you just got to like try to get something going and I think last year with Gary Bahannon I think they probably they shackled him a little bit because I don't think they trusted his accuracy enough but I think that he, they were able to call enough to where that he was deliberate right and decisive with some of his throws right even if there were one read passes or whatever he was able to like okay here's my target boom right there and i don't know i think maybe if they i don't know if they were a little bit i want to say concern or basically i think i think i respect gary behannon a lot more based off because we were like oh this is a weird offense but like he was a physical runner. He was able to give them really that option. And Blake Shaman's not, he's a runner. He can run, but he's not a physical runner. And so that whole element of their game that made them really dangerous last year is kind of taken away. Cause obviously you're replacing a lot in the backfield and you're changing the quarterback. So like your whole run game is more or less changed. And I wonder if that's affected the fact that, you know, they don't have those options in the backfield. They don't have that option at the running option at quarterback. Is that a problem now that Blake Shapin doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have that two-headed monster with Tristan Ebner and Aiden Smith in the backfield 
now he has to be the one to make plays. And he's probably, was that, was that the reason he was so successful in flashes last year, as opposed to now being the guy. So yeah. Baylor has to figure out who the number one wide receiver is. Yeah. hundred percent. Until they do that, the passing offense is going to struggle because everybody needs that safety blanket. Like that guy on third and six that you look for, like he's going to win the one-on-one matchup. If I can get him one-on-one, that's where I'm throwing the ball. Baylor doesn't have that right now. And, you know, I trust Jeff Grimes. Like Jeff Grimes knows more about offensive football than I ever will. Mm -hmm. And if in overtime he's running the ball seven out of eight plays, there's something wrong with the passing game that he just doesn't trust. Yesterday they could have used Gary Bohannon's power running game, or I guess today it was earlier today. Right, they, exactly. That that game happened. Um, you know, they could have used that power running game because they struggled to get those tough yards when they needed to because BYU know, knew what was happening. You know, mm-hmm. BYU runs that same offense, so the defense gets to face it every single day too. Um, and so that's a little bit a, a part of it as well. Uh, but until somebody emerges as a real go-to threat for Baylor, I think this is what we see from the Baylor offense. And that's going to be – the margin of error is going to be very small for this Baylor team if that's what the offense is. Yeah. One thing I did find interesting. So Blake Shapin finished 20, 18 to 28, 137, one touchdown, no picks, uh, sacked four times. I didn't realize Gary Bahannon also played BYU this year for US for USF. Uh, 17 to 30, 172, no touchdowns, zero picks. Of course, they got beat, you know, 50 to 21 because USF is not very good. But I did think I found that interesting. I was like, huh, interesting. Worst talent. Maybe put up better numbers. I don't know. Maybe he's trusted to do more, obviously, as one of the probably better players in that team, but still thought that was, I didn't realize that until I looked up Gary Bannon's box scores just now. And one last thing, I, that was Blake Shapin's first true like road game in true. a hostile true. environment like that yeah. and stuff. And so you know, I think it's just kind of a growing up situation. If he's that same quarterback three, four weeks from now, there's a problem at Baylor. If it's just a one time, he, he didn't play as, as well as he normally does. You know, those kind of things happen with young quarterbacks as they're maturing. So let me ask this before we move on. Does Texas look like the best team in the Big 12 right now? We've seen Baylor and Texas go up against really, really good teams, and we see what they can actually be. So does Texas look like the best team in the Big 12 right now? You know, outside of Oklahoma and stuff. But Yeah, if we're talking, about in, the, if we're talking about in the state, I mean, I, I think their performance yesterday was the most impressive. Like if that Texas team shows up, you know, because last year they were better than everybody in the first half. You know, like they were, they were already playing with all these teams. They just couldn't play four quarters. Mm -hmm. If they figured out how to play four quarters, they're the most talented team in the state. Yeah. Right. Like nobody can line up with them. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're in every single game, the big 12, they're, they're favored or right there, maybe the OU game or something like that. You know, it's, it's a coin flip, but um, they're going to line up as talented, if not more talented than every single team they play in the big 12. It's just, do we get an effort like we got against Alabama because we just haven't seen that from Texas in years. Like they just don't play that hard. That's the hardest that they've played since Mac Brown was on campus. And right. So, Is this a one-off situation because it was Alabama because right. it was at home? It's, all e- it's easy to get up against Alabama. Yep. Your girlfriend's talking about it. Your mom's talking about it. You don't want to get embarrassed on national TV. Like it's easy to get up against Alabama. What does this Texas team look like against UTSA? Yes. What does this Texas team look like at Lubbock? Like, mm-hmm. will they fight? What does the team look like at the Red River, right? Like, this, will this team play four quarters of football week in, week out? We're going to have to see it to believe it because they hadn't done it in over a decade. Yeah. Speaking of other teams in the Big 12, let's move on to another crazy result. Texas Tech 33, Houston 30 in double overtime. Joey McGuire, you son of a gun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, I mean, I have I have written here, Texas Tech does not win this game last year. Like, they just do not win this game. Donovan Smith, he had issues early on, but this dude is just a playmaker and a gamer. And you could tell, I honestly wonder if Tyler Shuck comes back and is the guy because I don't see, I don't think Tyler Shuck wins this game. Because, like, as frustrating as Donovan Smith was with some of his throws, his legs and his mobility and his ability to make that short passing game work was what kind of kept them in this and what's what won it late. I mentioned, you know, the, the shoulder check on the sideline from that random grad assistant, but like that was the Donovan Smith run The pocket broke down. He saw the Blaine broke down uh, and then just made things happen late when they needed a field goal. So like, man, this Texas tech team, and we'll, let's focus on tech for now before we get to, to Houston. Cause I do have questions, but this tech defense in particular, Tim DeRuiter has done an incredible job in just one off season. I mean, this tech team, this tech defense probably loses this game 90% of the time, like any time in the past 10 years. And they were right there with them. They let Donovan Smith be able to make mistakes and not lose the game because they knew that, okay, we're not, 
we're going to be able to hold Clayton Tune in check. We're going to be able to get him uh, to, uh, uncomfortable, make him throw two picks. Uh, let me find Donovan Smith's stat line here. I didn't have it up, but um, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. It's pretty yeah, good. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, they threw, or they, they, Texas Tech ran 103 plays yesterday. 78 yeah. of them were in Smith's hands, either as a passer or a thrower. He was 36 of 58 for 351 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, sacked six times. He also had 20 carries. Uh, you know, he, he only ended up having a net of 28 because of how many he lost on, on different sacks Sacks, and stuff like that. But just the amount of responsibility that they gave up, gave their backup quarterback proves that that was a real quarterback battle. Like we were talking about with the Hudson card, Quinn Ewers thing, you could Mm -hmm. see how much the game plan changed when Hudson card got in there and Sark will say it's because his foot was hurting and I couldn't call a lot of plays, et cetera, et cetera. But you could tell. He did before, not trust even before that. Right. Yeah. You, you could tell he just did not trust Hudson the same way he trusted Quinn. I don't think that's true at Texas Tech. I think they trust Donovan Smith as much as they trust Tyler Shuck. I, I think we saw some of the passing mistakes from Donovan Smith that won Tyler Shuck the job. Tyler mm-hmm. Shuck doesn't make some of those bad throws, but Tyler Shuck also doesn't make some of those plays with his feet and plays just physically that Donovan Smith did, especially in overtime to win that football game. So it's kind of a, right. you know, take a little, little to give a little type deal. Uh, but this is why it was important for Texas Tech to have multiple quarterbacks. This is why, and even in the transfer portal age, you need a good backup quarterback. We've seen around the state already through the three games we've talked about how important depth of that position is and how, how important just that position as a whole is. And as soon as you don't have your guy, it can all fall apart for Texas Tech to win a game against a really good Houston team in overtime with their backup quarterback and the second game ever in Joey McGuire's tenure for a team that hasn't kind of played these kind of physical, you know, net up games where you really Mm got to play, you know, four quarters and through overtime, like you said, Texas tech doesn't win these games under Matt Wells. This is a team that believes and that is playing for each other. You usually don't see that in year one. Usually that takes a a year or so to really build into a culture. Um, You know, we're, we're Joey McGuire people here on this podcast, obviously, Um, And this is why, right? Like he just gets teams to play really, really hard. And Mm -hmm. he did it again at Texas Tech. And if you can get your team to play hard, you got a chance in every single football game. Well, I think too, you can tell just by watching his players and stuff, they want to play for him too. Mm -hmm. I don't think you saw that much of that under Matt Wells. You know, like they didn't care as much. They want to play for Joey McGuire. Yeah. And if you can get guys you didn't recruit to play that hard, yeah. Imagine when they're all yours. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and like, that's the thing in Lubbock now is you're, you, you may not get the most talented team. Like they still have some roster construction to do to become, you know, a Texas or an Oklahoma or you know, even a Baylor, quite frankly, in terms of just talent level, uh, but they're going to play really, really hard. And that, that can cover up a lot of ills. You know, if, if your guys play hard every single snap, no matter what, and then give credit to Tim DeRuiter and the defense too. Yeah. You know, like they really shut down Houston, especially early on in the game. They're creating turnovers. They're creating sacks. When do we ever say that about Texas Tech's defense? It's usually like a bend, but don't break. Like, let's not give up big plays. You know, we'll score 40 points and win the game type of deal. Texas Tech went out there and played some defense. And and that's kind of a new thing in Lubbock as well. So exciting times for Texas Tech. That was a big win for this program, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. I was fully expecting this score to be like 60 to 50 or something like that. I thought it was just going to be every possession you get a score. And yeah, that's that's really impressive. Says a lot about Tech's defense. Yeah, I think the final the final drive in the four, the final two drives in the fourth quarter were like the perfect Donovan Smith experience because it was like third and 16 backed up into his own the shadow of his own goal line. He just throws up an awful pass and like gets picked. <laughs> Houston gets it back in field goal range. They go up and then like immediately in like 30 seconds, he just goes down and scores, goes down and sets up in field goal range. So that's like, yeah, it, it, it shows why Tyler Shuck won the battle, but it was also like, it also shows the value, like you mentioned, of having that option behind him because it opened up the offense in different ways that Tyler Shuck probably wouldn't have given you. Um, you know, obviously Tyler Shuck probably doesn't make that pick, but he probably doesn't drive down the field in 30 seconds using his legs to set up a field goal to send it overtime. So um, now let's talk about Houston a little bit. I mean, this is a team that we thought would be and should have been the New Year's Six, you know, favorite in the country. Uh, definitely a team that had the best shot at going unbeaten in the state. And now, not only did you lose to Tech in a game that you won last year, uh, kind of took control in the second, like basically the entire second half last year and really just like put that one away. But uh, also now, 
It was flipped. Tech Tech won last year in the second half. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, you're you're right. Sorry, my bad. Um, but regardless, now you're back to back weeks of starting off really slow because Tech was up what seventeen three at the half. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. After going down at UTSA, and whether or not they won or lost, Houston won or lost this game. The question I had was: Is that are they not getting up for these games early, or are they just getting punched in the mouth really fast and having to make adjustments on the fly? And it's plan, basically is plan A not working, right? Is basically what like my question was. And credit to them in both games, they came back. Obviously, they lost this one, but they won last week, and they were able to kind of in hostile environments, you know, make things work and kind of uh, turn things around somewhat. But what 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 are your thoughts on Houston? I'm one. I have a question about. Clayton Tune. I'm a little worried. I was a little worried about him in this game. I do want to give credit to Tim DeRuder. I think he made his life miserable for a lot of the time, but I saw a lot of 2020, 2019 Clayton Tune in this one that I hadn't seen in a while. And then also like there was no, if they weren't getting the ball to Nathaniel Dell, there was no explosive offense. And so uh, Craven, what did you see? Cause this is now two weeks of Houston's offense kind of struggling a bit. Uh, to me, that's that's the thing, right? I mean, they've scored 10 per first half points through four quarters of play. Um, and yeah. so, uh, but if you look at their receiving numbers, I think you get a good picture of what the problem is. You got Nathaniel Dell, seven catches for 120 yards. Next leading receiver is a running back. Third le- leading, leading receiver is a running back. Fourth leading receiver is a wide receiver, a true freshman, Matthew Golden, two catches for 25 yards, one touchdown, 15 yards. That was That was like the last touchdown score of the fourth quarter i think or in overtime where he caught that screen pass and went then next is a tight end again and then a uh, wide receiver for two catches 13 yards that's it you know and so outside of nathaniel dell the only wide receivers with catches total four catches for 38 yards and a touchdown like that's all they got from the wide receiver position on the outside and like nathaniel dell plays slot so you're getting everything in your passing offense from your slot receiver your tight end christian trahan and your running backs out of the backfield you're not going to do that against good defenses like against well-coached defenses like utsa and texas tech the defensive coordinators that are good it's hard you're going to have to scheme those things open and that's hard to do um and so houston a lot like baylor how much of this is the quarterback how much Mm -hmm. of this is the wide receiver group i feel like i've seen both quarterbacks play really well and make a lot of good throws so that leads me to believe that it's got to be the wide receiver group just not getting open, not winning their battles. Like you, you got to have somebody to throw the ball to. Right now, Clayton Toon doesn't have that. Blake Shapin doesn't have that. And I think the other common denominator is the offensive line is underperforming on, on both mm-hmm. sides. Uh, we expected this Houston offensive line to be above average. They've yeah. been about average uh, through a couple of games. And, you know, that running game without Alton McCaskill isn't good enough to keep defenses honest. And we're starting to see that Houston offensive line struggle and pass pro and struggle against the run game without a superstar behind them to kind of mask up some of those problems. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I ran into or that I kind of figured out was I like Brandon Campbell and I like Tajon Henry, but you can't, if you're down 17 to three, you're not going to use them. Right. Like that's the thing. Like I think they obviously Alden McCaskill is the running back in that game, but I do think they have quality running backs at depth behind him. Perhaps not the ones you maybe want as your one and two, but maybe I, I still think they're very good two and three if McCaskill is healthy. But they probably don't run the ball much with a healthy McCaskill if they're down, you know, early in a, on the road. And these slow starts, it just they just completely take you out of your game plan because then you're like, okay, Clayton Tune go in the game. And then last, you know, last week he'll do it, right? Last week he goes in the Alamo Dome and outduels Frank Harris and comes up with a great crazy front flip play to get in the end zone to win the game. This week he doesn't, right? Because he places a, you know, it's just, we, he's asked to make too many, one too many plays maybe completely on his own with Nathaniel Dell. And yeah, you, I don't know. That's, if I'm going forward, the favor the schedule still is is in is in Houston's favor. I, I do want to mention, like obviously, they could still go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, one loss does not take a, a group of five team out of there, but this was set up perfectly to make this an open and shut case, right? Going unbeaten in the AAC, avoiding Cincy and UCF until basically the conference championship game, it was set up perfectly. Now you're like, okay, can they make? They can't make these same mistakes against 
hell, Kansas just won a game uh, against West Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they get him in the home opener, but uh, Houston's home opener. But still, Kansas isn't a pushover right now. You can't start slow at Memphis. You can't start slow at SMU. And so now you're like, okay, now the games that I thought they'd be clear favorites in, it's like, I don't know, it's closer to 50-50 than it was before, definitely. So, um, like I said, one loss does not take does not end their season. They can very much end a New Year's Six Bowl. But it's definitely there's definitely questions about this team that makes me a little bit hesitant to make them uh, to still call them the favorite. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think a double overtime loss on the road after you just played a triple overtime game on the road and won right. that is, is that big of a deal. I think it just shows Houston what they need to improve on before they're in the Big 12. They need to get better at the wide receiver position. They need to get better on the offensive line. That defense was excellent. Yep. I mean, Doug Belt's defense was great. They held mm-hmm. their own. They made big plays. They got pressure, six sacks, returning an interception for a touchdown. You know, like they, they played well defensively. They just need to get bigger on the offensive line. And they need to get a couple more weapons or at least have those weapons grow up. Like I think Matthew Golden's going to be really good. He's just 18 years old and he played his second football game ever. And, you know, he couldn't get open. So right. uh, as they kind of get more, you know, another recruiting class or two in, they would get more and more Big 12 talent. I think they're, they're proven that they're capable of playing with all these teams. Texas Tech's a good program, right? And they're already, you know, right there with them. So I think it's a good sign for Houston. We had Texas Tech winning this game in the magazine. I, you know, Texas Tech was a two-point favorite. They won this game, you know, in double overtime. You know, I, I don't think there's too much to, to hang your head if you're Houston. It's about the response. Last year, they responded to a loss against Texas Tech with 11 straight wins. We'll see if they can do that again this year and, and respond with a, with a winning streak and to roll through American. All right, moving on to our last game that we're going to go really in-depth on. UTSA 41, Army 38 in overtime. This damn team. Uh, <laughs> it looked like Army was going to not not roll this game, but was firmly in control of this game. I believe they're up 28-14 at one point over UTSA. Craven, I did not see a lot of this game because um, it was in the midst of everything else happening in college football yesterday. But... Um, I see here it says Army had Cade Ballard had 11 of 15 passes for 221. What Craven, the- what happened? <laughs> well, UTSA tried to put 11 men in the box and Army. I mean, not, not a bad strategy against not Army. Not a bad strategy at all. Yeah, Army beat them. Uh, Army beat them deep a few times. You know, I think it's just a pick your poison type situation, right? Like all week right. long, you're talked about like the option game, the option game, the option game. And give credit to Army. They, they put in a few wrinkles, you know, there, used the uh, play-action pass, slipped some guys through. And it just takes one linebacker missing their cue or missing their read or Rashad Wisdom, you know, flying up for run support. Then all of a sudden, you know, a tight end's behind them or a fullback's behind them. So, you know, good on Army there. I thought UTSA kind of sleptwalked into this game. You could feel that triple overtime loss impact them early on. But as the game went on, I mean, give them credit for responding in the second half digging deep and getting a win on the road against an army team. That's not easy to play against Frank Harris, Sakari, Will, Sakari uh, Franklin were awesome. Uh, he owns army. He has like almost like 500 yards of receiving in his career against army or something like that. Like it's insane. Uh, so a really good game from the passing game, uh, a really good game in terms of just dealing with adversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're UTSA, you still need to figure out the running game. That offensive line has struggled. They lost, you know, their, their replacement left tackle in, in the offseason or in, in training camp. Um, so they're out there. They lost their right tackle in the opening game. So they, they're just struggling offensive line-wise. They're going to have to figure that out. Uh, but a gutsy win on the road against uh, a good Army team. And one they needed with Texas coming up next. Oh, yeah. We saw how good Texas was. You don't want to start 0-3. That's hard to get the fan base back. That's hard to get the locker room back for Conference USA play. So it felt like this was a, a real important win uh, for the Roadrunners. And luckily, Jeff Trailer doesn't have any hair or he'd be losing it all because he's coached 28 games at UTSA and 18 of them are one score games. You know, they're 14 and four in those games, which is insane. Right. He's like the I think Uncle Chaps on Twitter said he was like the anti Scott Frost. And it's true. Like he wins all those close games. But that's a hard way to make a living. Right. Like every single game being like that's a hard way to go about it. They're going to have to figure out a way. Uh, to get some easy wins once Conference USA play starts. But for UTSA, I mean, I feel like you can't celebrate or anything. You just line back up and you look across and you're like, oh, now we got to go play the team that was one point away from beating Alabama at home. So yeah. good luck with that. Basically, yeah. I I do want to mention, uh, I did turn in for overtime, uh, tune in for overtime. And uh, once again, to Corian Clark is that dude. 
as well. Like that's the second time in a row he's made a clutch grab in overtime that probably that didn't look easy at all. Like I think Frank Harris just kind of lofted it up to him and he just came down with it after that uh, tight window fit last week. This receiving core, man, they're just, they can bail you out. Even if Frank Harris isn't on his game or makes even just kind of a questionable decision, the mental like safety blanket, knowing that you can just throw it somewhere and somebody's going to come down with it. Like that's, I don't know. They're going to, that's the reason why I, I feel so comfortable in saying they're going to repeat in conference USA is just like, nobody can cover those guys anywhere. Like you have to literally get up to the Alabama level to one, find that type of depth and talent in the first place. Right. Like you, you have, you have power five wide receivers at the one, two and three slot at this level. And then also finding guys that can cover those guys, right. Physically. And then speed wise, there's, they, they all do something different. You either, you, there's your red zone threat. There's your shifty slot. There's, I don't know. There's so many ways that they can hurt you. Um, in addition to obviously what they want to do in the run game, but I'm just so, yeah, I don't know. I've been blown away by that through two weeks by that wide receiver core. And the glow up by Frank Harris and his UTSA yes. career is just is incredible. fully confident and fully swaggered out. Basically. You could not convince me that this was the quarterback we would eventually see when this guy was young. You know, and I was a big Frank Harris fan going back to his shirts Clemens days, but after those injuries, you just didn't know what you were going to get. He made mm-hmm. some mistakes. He wasn't as athletic as he was in high school. And it's like, can he become a legit pocket passer at the college level? Cause he's going to need to become that. And he's absolutely become that. Like he's, he's throwing for over 300 yards routinely. Doesn't throw many interceptions, makes great plays in the red zone where it gets really hard to throw the ball. Like you mentioned, those wide receivers are really good. Um, so a different UTSA team and credit to this offensive staff. I think a lot of teams get into this, like, this is what we do. And we're going to round peg square hole this thing. UTSA Mm -hmm. went, well, we lost sincere McCormick. We got three really good wide receivers. We got a six year senior quarterback. We're going to sling it around. We're going to, we're going to live or die with that passing game. The scary thing is Frank Harris can come back. Yeah. Like he could get another year if he wanted to. So my favorite game right now in my mind is who's the UTSA quarterback in 2023. Is it Frank Harris? Is it Haynes King or is it Hudson Card? I think there's a, a there's a gambling bet out there to be made about either one of those quarterbacks. Because Hudson Card, remember, played for Will Stein uh, sure. when Will Stein was the OC at Lake Travis. Now Jeff Jeff Trailer and John King are about as close as as head coaches can get, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then Frank can take another year if you'd like to become Dr. Frank Harris. And so, um, you know, it's it's cooking at UTSA. But it's a stressful job. I'm going to speak as a grad right now. It is yeah. a stressful experience. Like I, I have my headphones in watching the UTSA game on stream as Texas and Alabama are playing this classic behind me or whatever. Like I looked down and my BPM on my watch was like 146 at, at one time, you know, yeah. because, and that press box at UT was like cramped in. So I right, apologize right. to Joe Cook and whoever else I was sitting by in the press box because I was like tense you know like as it was happening like reacting to things that weren't happening on the field we were actually watching because my headphones (laughs) were in and I was listening to it so uh yeah the week was crazy that was a crazy week of games inside the state Mm -hmm. oh Mm -hmm. easily I do want to rattle off the stats real quick for those wide receivers Uh, Zakari Franklin 10 catches 122 yards Josh Cephas 10 catches 112 yards Decorian Clark seven catches 90 yards Zakari Franklin had two scores and of course Decorian Clark had the one in overtime so that'll do just a stack stacked unit all right let's get into this hurry up slash NASA I don't know what we're gonna call this thing the just lightning round whatever (laughs) Uh, go go yeah exactly Uh, NASCAR NASCAR okay we're going reverse power pole order. We're going to start with the Bobcats, who are no longer the worst team in college football. 41-10 over FIU. I do want to 10 hint. points, though, man. They allowed 10 points, man. That's listen, like listen, 12 points. Listen, me. listen. The thing that stood <laughs> out to me, I know I'm definitely the only person on the show that watched the entire game. Uh, I'm still not convinced about Lane Hatcher as a quarterback. But Calvin Hill is absolutely that, that dude. He was absolutely sensational. I want to get a stat line right exactly. Yeah. But uh, Lane Hatcher was just somebody. Sorry, it was 41 to 12, I should mention. Um, yeah. uh, text day over FIU. But uh, Lane Hatcher, still iffy, but they realized that they had a dude at running back. And Calvin Hill finished 28 carries, 195 on the ground, one touchdown. Lane Hatcher, 15 at 30, 226, uh, three touchdowns, one pick. 
but this one is about, was about the defense. Basically, eighty percent of the game was this was defensively controlled, which was a shock if you've seen this Texas State team in the past couple of years. Um, I will say FIU did not look very good. Grayson James finished thirty of forty-seven for one ninety-six and zero touchdowns and two picks. But I'm going to give uh, Texas State's defense some credit, especially after last week getting destroyed and still coming out and playing with playing with some fire you know they made his life uncomfortable the bell brothers looked really good so i'm gonna choose to give that give them some um give them oh yeah i just i saw that craven on the zoom there cpt Uh, yeah baby the bell brothers um but uh but yeah i'm gonna choose to give tech state some credit because after last week's demoralizing loss it could have been very easy to make this a game but they were very much in uh, control of this one from the start thanks to the defense and then late because of calvin rogers i hope calvin texas Sta- i hope texas state doesn't do this thing where it takes until week eight to realize it's a running team i hope so i hope not either i know you know we know. see that in north texas sometimes like i think coaches have an idea of what they want their offense to be and spavadol's a, a passer of the football right he's an offense right. coordinator. he wants to call plays he wants to be exciting he wants to, to throw the ball around but sometimes you, you are what your personnel is and on yep. offense texas state's best personnel is offensive line and after running back position hill's a beast man and mm-hmm. that guy can, you know, he's not going to put up nearly 200 yards every single week or whatever. Right. But that's where that bread could be buttered for Texas State. I hope they lean on that a little bit more early in games and, and establish that week in, week out. Yep. And so even after last week, I'd still say they're on pace to still have this, still keep the same expectations as we saw them. Right. I'm not saying they're going to finish with a bowl game, but last week was always kind of a 50 50 anyway. Take the result and the point margin out of the, out of the, the, the way. And you're still on track. You got Baylor next week. It is what it is get through it uh by the way shout out cordell rogers who's probably like a seventh year senior at this point from lufkin but um he had two picks yesterday including a pick six so on his birthday uh moving on in the power poll rice mcneese you beat him congratulations 52 to 10 over mcneese i did not watch a single second of this game um but congratulations on beating mcneese because obviously you go to usc and you get to be lincoln riley's opening act and where he pulls out all the stops and gets to show us how cool usc is going to be um you need a win and you need something and you bust out those cool nasa uniforms um mcmahon throw finishes 20 of 29 274 with four touchdowns um they ran the ball 43 times for 209 you know solid solid game from them overall you want to be sure that you're still that you're not falling back into the are we an FCS team pack? And so you dominate an FCS team. That's a good way to make that make sure that's the case. Right. They were kind of in the same situation as Texas State, right? They could have gone sure. out there and after last week's demoralizing loss against USC, I mean, they could have just completely crapped the sheets, you know, and, mm-hmm. and lost this game. But they went out there and, and looked like a legitimate FBS team. Yeah, I mean, I think a positive is just the T.J. McMahon line, right? He didn't throw an interception. He threw four touchdowns. He had a high completion percentage. Again, it's McNeese, so take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but that's what you needed to see from him after you know, three pick sixes last week. And so mm-hmm. just to control the ball, not make a lot of mistakes, play a good game, and beat a team you're supposed to in the way that you're supposed to, that, that's all you can ask for. Exactly. Moving on to UTEP, another team that needed a win desperately, 20 to nine to 13 over New Mexico State rival. Sure, you can say New Mexico State's not very good, but this is the battle of I-10, and I'm gonna give them some slack. This is a you know heated rivalry game, and they pull it out. Gavin Hardison, 13 to 27, 166. But I want to talk about Ronald Awat, 21 carries for 115. I know we kind of expected Deion Hankins to kind of be the guy, but I just think that Ronald Awat at this point should be the guy in the backfield. That's uh that's he all Texas, there. that's all Texas second team magazine, Ronald Awat there. Uh I UTEP's got a problem, man. They were up 17-0 at halftime and only got three yeah. points in the second half. That 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 passing game is not that's good. Not like good. Hardison's been under 50% completions or at 50% completions all year this year. You know, I've, yeah. I think he's sitting at like 44, 45% for the year. This is not going to do it. I think I underestimated what the loss of Jacob Cowing and, and Justin Garrett would be sure. uh, and Gavin Hardison just has not looked the same quarterback without those guys. And so it's going to need to be the running game that gets it done. The problem for UTEP is when they're the smaller team, they have a hard time running the football. Mallory and I saw that when we were out there against North Texas, that offensive line's experienced, but they're not very big. And yeah. so you can kind of bully New Mexico state. Can you do that against the upper echelon teams or even the mid pack teams in conference USA? I don't know. 
UTEP needed that win. And Dana Dimmel, after the game, said that's a game that they wouldn't have won in 2017 when they weren't playing very well. You know, early on in his first couple of years there, it's a game they would have lost because they either had to play really well or they yeah. played really bad, right? And so some of that's coach speak. Um, but this UTEP team's taken a step back. I feel like that's pretty easy to say. They lost those wide receivers. Uh, not having Breon Hayward at middle linebacker has been huge. They've been patchwork there. And that defensive line that we thought was going to be excellent has mm -hmm. not been excellent. New Mexico State did a lot of stuff, especially when they switched their quarterback in the second half and he started scrambling around. They struggled. And had that if football was a five-quarter football game, New Mexico State wins that game. Like they were, sure. they were absolutely the better team by the time that thing ended. Uh, but it was a big win for UTEP, and now they move on to New Mexico, and another big win that they're going to have to get if they're trying to get to six games to get back to a bowl game. Yep. All right, moving on to your North Texas Mean Green 59, Texas Southern 27. Uh, before we get on to how they uh, North Texas actually won this game, shout out Andrew Body who made it scary for about least like 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> the, I, I, I saw he had like a – I saw they – didn't they got within like one score and then that was as close as they got then like text north Texas blew them out but i was like hey there you go it's that's fun why not um <laughs> again another another game that you this is what you want to see after smu right you want to see them come out squash a team you know i like andrew body i think he's a good quarterback so i'm not going to give them slack for you know him finishing 19 to 29 239 i think he's a talented player i think mckinney's done a good job uh recruiting at texas southern so i, I don't want to give i don't want to slag the north texas defense too hard for this um they controlled this game this wasn't going to be close they were fine they ran the ball really well a day he finished 10 carries 135 Attaway finished 17 carries 85 yards Again, they're a running team. They should be a running team. Uh, Austin Ani, 11 of 20 for 218, four touchdowns, no picks. That's what you want. Keep it around 50% completion. You know, throw for over 200. Don't turn the ball over. Congratulations. That's what happens. That's the recipe to success for this team. That's what they should do going forward. I still think it, there's a, a, a slight bit of concern with that secondary, though. I mean, giving sure. up 458 total yards of offense and against sure. an FCS team, I mean, that's I think that's, I know, I, I know we talked about it. Andrew body is a good quarterback, but I still think there is ca like cause for concern there. Um, oh, yeah. Especially because last week they kind of didn't look great against SMU. And of course SMU's, you know, passing attack is pretty explosive and there was just no answer from that UNT secondary, but to see kind of that same pattern with them this week, I think there is still kind of cause for concern there. Sure. That's fair. I'm not going to, I won't argue too much with that because I think they got UNLV next week and they go to Memphis, I think. And that'll be a, yeah, obviously that'll be a, a decent test for where they are. Um, Who was the best quarterback on the field yesterday? Like just talent wise. Do you want me to answer that? Yeah. <clears throat> it's a, it's a Corpus Christi Miller quarterback, Andrew body. <laughs> cause, cause what I'm leading into is like, what is Andrew body's transfer portal? It, like, yeah. Yeah. Like where, like where, what is his interest level? All right. Like if he's a That's stock, yeah. is he a P5 stock? Is he a G5 stock? Is he I don't think he's a P5 USA stock. stock. I think, that's, he has, I think there's some mechanics things that like, I think keep him from B. He has a very weird release. Um, and so I think it'd be like a lower G5 if he went somewhere. I don't think he's, I don't think he's Cam what Ward. Is... Let's put it that way. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't either. Um, but yeah, North Texas, exactly. No, but I think, I think it also would be like somewhere like around where he's from, like that area. I think that's why he went to uh, uh, part of the reason why he went to Texas Southern, obviously, because they were one of the ones that offered him, but it is closer to Corpus than like everywhere else probably that he made up, might've had a chance to go to. So um, yeah, I think he's legitimately really good. Obviously they put him in as a freshman um, and he's been, he hasn't been benched since. And um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't think we're working with a Cam Ward, but I do think we're working with a guy who should be probably playing FBS somewhere. Uh, moving on in the power poll to TCU, another game I did not watch a single second of. TCU 459, Tarleton 17. Craven, you and Corey can probably talk about Tarleton on the, the you know, small, small college part. Because uh, I don't know, from, from what I saw on Twitter, from Parker and a lot of the TCU guys, they were just happy about the play calling. They were happy to see Max Duggan throwing the ball a lot. They're happy to see him looking good, um, which is, again, it's a, a in this game, you're kind of looking to see what Sonny Dykes got, right? Like, what you got? Well, you know, you have your quote-unquote backup quarterback, but he's an experienced backup who probably is the, the who is probably the presumed starter, in my opinion. Uh, Duggan finishes 23-29, 390, five touchdowns, no picks. Awesome. 
great. Good job. Now, you know, that this was a good tune-up game after coming in kind of unexpectedly last week against Colorado, and now they get SMU. So, or in uh, sorry, in a couple weeks they get SMU because they get a bye after this week. Yeah, I mean, really big game for Max Duggan. That Sonny Dykes Garrett Riley offense can be a lot of fun. You know, it, it gives you a lot of easy passes, but like that's the point. Like that's right. That's the whole point is to like get the ball out of the quarterback's hands into a faster player's hands in space. They did that really well against Tarleton, but after struggling in the first half against Colorado and the whole game as a passing attack, it was probably good for that that team to kind of see the success they could have in the passing game. And also considering we've seen this offense in whether the games they've controlled or not in the past, just not look good. <laughs> like, you know, this game, this is a, this is the game they might win like 32 to 17 last year. You know, it's like, why was, why was Tarleton hanging around? Cause the offense couldn't get going. So yeah, no, I think this is a good sign overall. Moving on to SMU 45, Lamar 16. Again, nothing much to talk about here, but I do want to give a quick shout out to the boy TJ McDaniel coming out. Welcome back, TJ McDaniel. I know he played, I know he got some carries last week against North Texas, but uh, I, I had his stat line up and now I can't find it. Uh, but he finished with a uh, I'm going to vamp here for a second. But regardless, this is a guy who's battled injury. He yeah, missed all of last year. Back. Yeah, exactly. Like this, the weird story came out about his rehab last year. Mm-hmm. He uh, had the broke, I think it was the broken bone, right? Or was it the yeah, muscle it was the ankle tear or something like that? It was he, something weird. He didn't but want the, surgery. He didn't want surgery. He wanted to like rehab it holistically or like some like weird yeah. rehab. It was like an electroshock type deal. Because right, like, right? he didn't want metal in his body. It's like a religious yes, yes. thing. So the surgery would have had to put like a metal rod in his body. He didn't want that. And so he ended up opting for this surgery that was like spearheaded by his brother, Cam McDaniel. <laughs> um, but it was a therapy that was only typically used for muscle uh, uh, rehabbing. And he wanted to do it for his bone. So last year was a whole thing. He never got cleared because it happened in 2020. He never got cleared uh, by the medical staff. This year he did. Awesome. He finished 13 carries, 96 yards on the ground. Again, it's Lamar, but still, this is a guy who two, was his last meet. His last snaps were two years ago. Like, I'll take that. Uh, Velton Gardner got in the game, 11 carries, 100 yards. You don't want to get, you know, your uh, guys like Tyler Levine and Kamar. You don't want to really risk him out there. They don't have to. Um, Tanner Mordecai, three touchdowns, one pick. Good job, you know, decent. It's, uh, you know, another tune-up game before, I think. Do they have a bye before TCU, or do they have one more game? I believe they, they have one buy. more game. Do they? Uh, uh, I think, well. No, sorry, they have, uh, TCU has the bye. SMU has Maryland, looks like. That's right. Oh, no, TCU's, yeah, yeah, right, 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 okay. Yeah, TCU has the bye, so. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what was really funny yesterday is after the game, Rhett Lashley said that that was the unofficial end of preseason play, which makes me feel that North Texas was considered a preseason game, and that just cracks me up. <laughs> just absolutely absolutely cracks me up like i don't know if that's how he meant it but like the way i read it was like oh no they yeah, have that's, they that's absolutely meant it. i was about to say absolutely meant it. they got merrill it's not like they're going that's to a future it's a future week. conference opponent that's like 20 miles from you right and you're like yeah preseason's out of the way we got the scrimmages done and uh now we're ready now we're ready for our real season like the the shade like that. this new coaching staff and like the way they've embraced just like smu-ness Oh my God, like the Trans Am videos and all that. Just tremendous. If you haven't read Joe Hoyt's uh, behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. just like how that came about, like just absolutely great at the Dallas Morning News. Um, But like, this is what SMU needs to do to be like, they need to kind of have this edge to them, right? And then people Mm -hmm. are like, oh, okay, let's see what's going on in Dallas. Uh, Through two weeks, so far so good for Rhett Lashley's uh, era. Rasheed Rice is a dude, man. That wide receiver mm-hmm. core last year was incredible. Like the fact that he was their third receiver just shows how good that team was last year. Um, if they can put together a 12 win regular season or not a 12 win regular season, but play well for 12 games in the regular yeah. season, uh, they're going to be a really good team. It's been a lot of fun to watch. That offense is great. Yep. And uh, that's basically it for the power pole. We got, you know, to the last four all lost Texas, Houston, AM, and Baylor are your top forward from last week. And so that'll definitely change. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how this order goes when Craven finishes. Yeah, I was say, we, Craven's got some work to do on this power pole, <laughs> yeah. man. It might be pony up time. I don't know. Cause I have a hard time. Like, Texas only lost by one to Alabama, right? Yeah, so sure. Do, that's I, fair, do, right. do like I move them up? Do I move right. them down? You know, like do, this early in the year, is it about wins and losses? Like, I don't know. It's a made up subjective poll anyway i guess so i'll just kind of figure out what my criteria is and then just i was about to say it's a one-man committee so like (laughs) it is nice it is nice 
doesn't have to go through eight people to, to yeah. get approved. It's just one. Exactly. I'm glad I don't have a. I, I'm glad I don't have a top twenty-five national ballot. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, have no, yeah I have no idea what I would do. That's like, hard. No, no clue. No clue. I think I put Georgia one, Ohio State two, and then turn the rest in blank. You know, and just right. y'all can all fill it in. So right. Now it's just a. I think with the transfer portal, we're seeing what we thought we would in terms of we just don't know. Like it's just going to mm -hmm. take six weeks into the season before yeah. we figure anything out because everything's just so new. Right. I was about to say, we thought this was going to be a boring week, right? A boring week of blowouts, whether the you know, text teams are on the end, end of those or not, like the right end of those or not. But it was like, no, it was like, it turned out to be mm -hmm. wild, wild, hell of a weekend. We, you know, Baylor BYU was supposed to be like the best we probably got. Right. And it turns out, no, we had like five <laughs> crazy games. Um, and that was spoke for the rest of the nation too. The rest of the nation was just like constantly glued from noon to night. Right. And that's, it was one of those weekends where you're just like, damn, I love the sport. Like <laughs> genuinely love the sport. Cause for eight hours, you were just like trying to pay attention to something going on. I got to the university of Texas at eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday to go do like game day, watch the Longhorns, like walk into the stadium, send Mallory some like social stuff mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I went to bed at two o'clock in the morning after Baylor lost in double overtime to BYU. And it was yeah. great. It was, it was great. Would do it again. No notes was fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So with that being said, remember, if you like this, tune in every Sunday or we'll have we'll have this up for download every Sunday, hopefully before noon, you know, we'll try to record these early. Um, subscribe, Apple, Spotify, Google, all that stuff. Remember, we will be back Wednesday with our live show. Stream that on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, our website, textfootball.com. And yeah, that'll also be up on podcast vendors everywhere. Remember to like, subscribe, rate, all that stuff. Help us in the reviews. Again, to mention it, we've been doing excellent with numbers and we thank you guys for that you know we're more or less outside of tft which is the daily show on this platform we are the biggest podcast at, at texas football and dave campbell so like we thank all the listeners you know this is a that's a huge honor for us because we often don't know anybody's out there <laughs> you know so <laughs> it's uh, it's just not you can't track every single thing uh, every single metric every single second of the day so often we're wondering are we talking to ourselves or what's going on here so <laughs> thank you everybody who listens to this with that being said, we have talked to 12 of the eventual 13 FBS head coaches. Shout out Sam Houston State. Jimbo Fisher, I want to give us a call now because uh, you might you could do some PR. So <laughs> can help you shout out. out Rutgers. Shout out Rutgers. Go Scarlet Knights. They're undefeated. <laughs>